Hello. Oh, oh, my name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kate Tuxford. <laughs> and this is uh, <laughs> episode 103 <laughs> of <laughs> Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast <laughs> about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms. Oh, from the perspective of writers just like you. <laughs> oh, buddy. Are we done? Yeah, we're we're good. We're Are you done with your chuckle fest? Yeah, okay. it was it was, you know, it was okay. Anyway, this week we're talking about how to land act three. Act three, K Tuxford. Mm-hmm. Where, where where the devil comes due. That money come pay. You gotta get it. It's anyway, but also while the writer's strike is over, and we're going to talk about that, we still stand in solidarity with SAG-AFTRA versus the AMPTP as they have yet to make a deal. So we are still substituting our former Twitter drama segment for the one that we're calling The Strike Corner. Take it away, Zach. And it's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. <laughs> well, Kate we- Tuxford. Yes, we are. We are we are back. Okay. The the writer's strike is over. Yeah. As as you as as our listeners may have noticed from our last podcast is it's it was done in the middle of the podcast yes we yeah we were right in the middle and then they got the deal but then it got (laughs) it was voted on by the council of people and they decided that it was good i don't know that they've sent it out for they sent it out to the membership to to formally ratify it i don't think they've sent it out yet but it was enough so that they suspended picketing and people are allowed to go back to work as of Wednesday, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So Wednesday, people were allowed to go back to work, but I don't think they're going to have any trouble in passing it because the word via screenwriting Twitter overwhelmingly seems to be that we fucking won or they fucking won because well, WGA fucking won. Yeah, and WGA won. WGA yes. Committee hands down one people are over the moon because when we first started there were talking points <clears throat> the AMPTP wouldn't even consider right 100 percent. Uh, i mean that's where we got the quote which is what refused our proposal what is it rejected our proposal refused to make a counter offer yep. there were topics like ai and things like that that they said no we're not even going to go there yeah we're, and- they, they offered meetings and certain things we're like we're not going to make any counter offer at all but we will offer you some lovely meetings on the, on the <laughs> you can have a meeting <laughs> maybe scheduled in the future to continue the discussion obviously our negotiating our then negotiating committee basically said that's not going to work we need we need stuff we need ink on paper we need guarantees and protections because <clears throat> we've done the whole let's have a meeting in the future stuff and you guys are shit at it right <laughs> so it was not going to satisfy anything it was very much like like that scene from that charlie murphy scene from from Chappelle show where you have Rick James just like jumping over to be like fuck yo couch. That's, I'm w- sure that's a tactic they actually used. In, they did. In, 
Yeah. I, I, I think they did. And so they, the WGA told the AMPTP, uh, fuck your couch. Yeah. And they got most of what they were asking for. Like I was looking through it and I've listened to several podcasts. I haven't done the, the actual math, but it seems like the WGA got somewhere between 90 to 93%. And that's not an official percentage, but it feels true. Like 90 to 93% of the stuff that they asked for. Right. And where it was like, you know, if they asked for a 6% increase, they got a 5% increase. You know what I mean? And they they got some really interesting protections, especially in terms of, in, in the course of things like AI and things like that. But also, I think some of the big ones were they got, if, residuals would increase if your show is a hit basically they mm-hmm. got a guaranteed second step in feature contracts which is amazing i think that's great because there was always that whole thing of free work that many people no matter who they were no matter what echelon they were at were sort of subject to where they would force you to do what they call the producer's pass before they uh-huh. moved your script up the chain and then you could get fired from the producer's pass and then not get your second step. They would keep you from getting that second step. Now, if they want work done, you get that you are it's a guaranteed second step. You they have to pay you for it. And that's fantastic. The, Absolutely. The other thing is there was writers room minimums, which right. is huge. Um, those minimums are there. They exist. They are organized by the amount of, the amount of episodes being done, you know? And so, uh, especially for the TV clan of the WGA, they're, they're over the moon excited because this is the sort of protections they've been looking for. And not only are there minimums, there's guarantees that certain amount of writers have to stay on for the production. So this, this is the, the sort of cost cutting that's been happening. That's been diminishing you know writers ability to quality control a show or learn on set and work their way up to new positions so it's really nice that that way has been cleared for so many writers there, yeah there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this deal i would honestly say you gotta go through it probably yourself bullet by bullet wga has some updates about what's in it we'll put a link <clears throat> in the show notes to it yeah but it's i mean all in all, so many things were brought up and debated and were important, and I don't think anything really got left. The AI thing was pretty significant as well, where that had been such a, a big part of the conversation. And the fact that AI was 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 is not allowed to be used as source material, it can be discarded and it cannot be the studios cannot force writers to use AI and an AI cannot be credited. So those were all big deals because then it keeps that kind of thing in place. Also, it does not preclude writers from using AI as an outlining tool or as a thought, you know, bending tool, as long as it's, they fall within the rights or the, the proper usage of AI. And, but it's just, it, I think that was a, a giant win because people were worried about that studios would basically use AI as source material so that writers 
would get hired to rewrite, but instead of getting their full rate, they would be, it would be called a polish on yes. AI and, and therefore allowed to pay writers less. And so yes. now since writers cannot, since that cannot, is not allowed by a contract that keeps, even if you are, even if they do hand you a script that was written by AI, it can't count as source material that you are rewriting. It is a, just, a, <laughs> it is a, a, essentially just a document that is not yeah. allowed to be acknowledged in any way, shape or form. So that's pretty good. That's pretty decent. Yeah. And it's, it's really good for our brothers, sisters, and that are in SAG and for, and deals that are coming, you know, for upcoming expiring contracts, which is, you know, SAG has a huge AI issue going on as well. And the fact that <clears throat> essentially the writer has got protections against AI, it's going to set a great precedent to our brothers, sister unions that they have a good reason for also having AI protect protections. The, the, the joke or the, the, the modus operandi of the AMPTP was the, the directors accepted their deal from the AMPTP pretty quickly this season, uh, this right in the spring, summer. And the deal struck by the w, uh, the DGA was the template deal for the WGA. They basically said, we want you guys to accept a deal like the DGA deal. And we right. said, no, it doesn't address a bunch of things we need. This is great for SAG because now they can say, we want the WGA treatment, not the DGA treatment. They were saying that the WGA was specific in doing that and that they wanted to leave that door open for SAG to come through sort of in yeah. the opposite way that the DGA did not where open. yeah yeah they were exactly. not for any other guilt so that's what they wanted to do and they succeeded in that as well yes so the one thing the other thing that i really want to highlight here is in addition to getting minimums for tv writer rooms they also created a program well they kept the showrunner program and they also created language within the new tv contracts that allows showrunners to officially appoint writers to oversee production and so that you can get writers who are coming up these writer producers who are coming up basically you could get them to set so that they have set experience so that they are allowed to progress in their showrunner abilities and i think that's really important because they're they've been talking about that for years where it's been this this thing where people are becoming showrunners with no set experience and therefore don't are coming on there. Like, you know, the first time you showrun is the first time that you're on set. And that's not a great way to run a show. And so now people are allowed to get the experience of coming to show, coming to set, and so that they can learn the ins and outs of production. Because when you, when you learn those ins and outs, you're going to be able to solve problems in a showrunner capacity where someone tells you that this location doesn't work or that is not going to fly. Exactly. And so you need to now consolidate within the production. And if you don't, if you don't have that experience, if you've never, you know, encountered that because you've never been to set, then how can you run the show? Especially when, when it gets down to previously, when it had gotten down to that point, when the showrunner would be the only writer left. 
because they canceled all, you know, they canceled the room and sent all the writers home, you know, then you have this situation that was costing them time and money because of lack of experience. And now that is no longer the case because writers can be groomed in order to become show writers of their own, which used to be the case, but had been gotten or gotten away uh, from slowly over the years as we move towards streaming. And now that is, they're bringing it back. So that, I think that was pretty significant as an indie film guy. I'm always on the, I'm, I'm always like, yes, please let's teach people how to, you know, what, what happens on set because it, it affects everything. It affects your writing. It affects how you write for actors. Most assuredly, it affects how you write for actors. And then, you know, you're also going to editing and and just what you're, you learn what is practical and what's not. Yeah. And I think, I think also when you're not seeing something, how long it takes to get filmed and how many people it takes to put it together. Right. Um, sometimes I think the decisions you made, or I know this is for my, myself as my journey as a writer is I was like, oh, we'll have time to try this like six ways. And, you know, maybe it'll be this way or maybe it'll be this way. And realizing that, you know, once everybody's there, you really have to have a very specific vision and a very specific, clear way the story is going to get told. Because there's only so much time and, you know, it takes quite a bit of time on itself to to make it. So it's I think it really helps you understand how important your choices are and how specific they need to be. Right. I was going to touch on the other thing, now that we've kind of talked about some of the perks of the strike, I think on Twitter specifically, we have some some folks, and I think we mentioned this last week, that are, as you called it, raining on the parade a little bit. Right. There were some bad faith actors and some just some general assholes where it just, there were a lot of people who seemed to be really oddly salty on behalf of the studios. Won't anyone think of the stock prices? What is happening? It's just, it didn't make sense. And I, I there was a, a quite a few of it this week and just like people were celebrating and it's just, it seemed to be a lot of devil's advocate people and trolls just trying to piss in everyone's Cheerios. And it really didn't make sense. I, I've never understood where this anti-labor movement outside of the billionaire class like i i don't understand why people are like unions are just there to collect take your money and not do what you want them to do i'm like that's not none of that is accurate that is <laughs> so, so, so I'm, I'm i'm giving you this link rob now we're gonna put it in the show notes because i want you guys to put the clicks on it but the onion came up with a great article in this vein to kind of mock it, which was penniless, barefoot, David Zaslav wanders LA streets after reaching a deal with the WGA. Yeah. It's hilarious. So, and a very short read. So I highly recommend it because it's, it also describes the writers as suddenly now we're the billionaires, which is delightful. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I'm giving you that link. Please put it in the show notes. So that writer at the onion gets all the clicks. I, I will um, do that. Okay. I, but the the thing that I, like I saw this one tweet that was like and I commented on it and I re I reposted it where someone was like the sign of a writer's room is a the sign of a declining culture and I was like 
Oh, no, not a writer's room, a writer's union. And I was like, I, okay. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, literally, I don't literally been around. The Writers Guild has literally been around since 1954. And I just, <laughs> I just you know what I mean? Society has been declining since 1954, they say. Yeah, I guess. And, okay. So, it just, to me... I don't, I don't under, I'd never understand why you would want to, you know, who's the person who's just like, you know what, that James Bond guy, he just keeps blowing up Blowfield's plans. Like he's just a real jerk. You know what I mean? Like who's, who's, who's that person? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and in Star Wars, those guys had to make the Death Star twice. Yeah. Like it's Ernest rude. Blofeld is a job creator. What does James Bond do? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What does you know? They should like, be thank, he should be thanking him for right. all the jobs and well, all, you know oh. for the for the boom in capitalism. Yeah, uh, does do they do? Does he concoct nefarious schemes? Sure, maybe, but he also is is providing jobs for hundreds of people and their families in his nefarious schemes. Okay, he's not just doing it to do it. He's putting food on these people's tables. <laughs> like, the, like what? Come on, my guy. Like, I don't... I, I'm, I'm, maybe, and this is where they say, well, maybe he's not even an even evil villain. He just he just disguises himself as one because right. he's secretly, you know, playing 40 chess and knows more than all of us, yeah. you know? It's, it's, uh, it's I don't know. I, I think... I think, first of all, I'm not convinced all these people are real human beings. I think some of them are bots or fro troll farms, so they have to be contrarian where they don't get paid. And I also right. think there's people who, instead of understanding that you're not getting paid because capitalism is a little broken right now, they just yell at anyone else who's getting a break and fighting for their rights. It never fails. It's that I don't have to fight the bad guy. I just have to bring everyone down with me who's going to try and then I don't have to feel bad. Yeah, I think the majority of the people who are who are were sort of doing the raining on folks's parade were most of which or at least the loudest voices were either professional trolls or they have succumbed to the Candace Owens effect where mm -hmm. they're finding that it is it's much easier to, you know, come down on the side of outrage in order to make money. Ben Shapiro falls into this category. You know, they're, they're the people who are just like that. They they know that what they're saying is essentially bullshit, but they know that that the money and the clicks and, and stuff comes down from being on the, the opposite side of the for the fortress of the forces of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And they just they they're just, you know, at that point they are sort of professional trolls in themselves. So, but you know, that that's where the their their bread and butter lies. The other yeah. people are just ignorant and just spewing talking points from these people and have no idea what a real union is. I remember during the election, there was this kid who was running around and he was clearly clearly just parroting probably not even those people, but like his parents that listened to those people. He was just this this 18-year-old kid. And he was like, Joe Biden is going to win the election and he's going to force this whole place to unionize. And <laughs> we're all going to lose our jobs if we don't 
we don't join the union and that's what it's going to be. And so we don't want Joe Biden to win because if you don't feel like joining the union, then you lose your job. And right. right. <laughs> it's just like, right. and you're like, that's not real. And but, yeah. but there it's, 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 I mean, this person's a child. We had the same thing with Trump where like kids were at on playground, basically yelling at other children about building a wall. And and sending other you know kids back to their camps. Their country, yeah, they're yeah, yeah exactly. And so so it, you know obviously that's and I'm sure I'm sure some of those kids are going to grow up and be like, wow, what an asshole thing to say now that I understand it. Yeah, um, some might not, and that's some of them hopefully, but probably less than we want to. But you know, it's just no, that's not how unions work. And the the thing about unions, and I, I agree, like when people say things like we shouldn't even have to have unions, I agree 100%. We shouldn't. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have this fundamental gap in society where if you steal $100 from a convenience store, then you go to jail. But if a studio refuses to pay you for the work that you've done, nothing happens. They just get to do that. That they owe you a thousand dollars for work that you did for their movie. They can creative accounting it away or just refuse to pay you. And the only way that you would get paid is if there's a union who can step in and say, hey, you are subject to these resources based on your your Candid agreement with us. Yeah. Right. And so you don't if pay, you, you are not going to get union work. Exactly. Right, exactly. You we will deny our services to you if you do not pay this person because you owe them to them, because they have performed the job that you asked them to do and they did it. You owe them this money, pay them. And that's the way the union works. Like we shouldn't have to come to that. You're absolutely right. We shouldn't have to have unions to do that. And this has been my problem with. Well, one of my problems with the strike in the first place, which is that the studios are failing at basic capitalism. And for me, I've, I don't know how that's not the biggest narrative. It's you if you like you can't do that at a Walmart. If this if the studios, if the if Walmart paid people the way the studios pay people, there would be riots in the goddamn streets. Okay. There would be there would be. No, no place would be safe because Walmart employs hey, Walmart a lot of would be burning in the background. Right, just exactly. <laughs> like you can't do that because that facet of capitalism is at the core of our society. It is literally the entire basis from which ninety nine point nine 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 percent of jobs are based upon. I do a job for you. You pay me for the job. That's how this works. That's capitalism. But. This whole thing of like studios doing like, well, you know, we'll get back to you. You know, even in the the contract with the with the WGA, they have what they one of the gains that they got was that the studios basically will have paid you for by the time that you finish the script, the studios should have paid you more than fifty more than I think it's seventy five percent, fifty to seventy five percent of what they owe you by the time you finish that script. By the time the script goes into production so that right. literally when the script gets goes into production, then they owe you like the last 25% of what you were promised in your contract. And that to me is so 
freaking weird. No other job, like there's almost no other, most jobs do not work that way. That's not how this works. If I have done a job, 100% of a job for you, you owe me 100% of the money that I was promised by doing that job minus taxes. That's how this works. But the studios have this weird system where it's just like, we'll only owe you 25%. You know what I mean? And then even beyond that, they have a certain amount of time in which they are they, they can give it to you. Yeah. Where else does that work? That doesn't work. You know what I mean? And Imagine telling that to your landlord. <laughs> Imagine telling right. your landlord, like, I'm only going to be here. I might only be here five days out of the month. So I'm only going to maybe pay you 25% right. of this month in the next three months. Sometime. It'll be in the next three months. I pay you. It's a net 30. Right. <laughs> and your landlord yeah, like, get out. Yeah. Get out. Like it's not, that doesn't work. It's not how that works. And if you do a job for someone, you should get paid for the job. That's just how this works. It's basic capitalism. That's not even anything that we should have a fight over. Why are we fighting over this? You asked me to do the job. I do the job. I gave you the thing. You use the thing. Pay me pay me. That's yeah. it. There's there's no discussion. There's no wiggle room in that argument. And yet there is. There yeah. <laughs> very much is. And I don't understand it. It drives me absolute batshit. And that's the crazy thing about this whole thing where it was just like the studios were looking at that proposal where you know people were just like, hey, if you don't pay me, could I get more money and penalties? And they were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you if you're late, can, can there be penalties? You know, and yeah. they said that was for SAG, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think also maybe for WJ, but definitely for SAG because they're you know they sometimes people are waiting a year plus, yeah. you know, before yeah. they get paid. Yeah. And they were doing, you know, people were operating off of credit and things like that, where they were just like, I, I you know, I'm out of money. And, it, you know, you've gone to the union and the union's like, you know, hey, you have to pay this person. You have to, they did the job. It's been a year for Christ's sake, pay them. Like, yeah. And it's, it's crazy when you think yeah. about it, you assume, you know, everybody on set came and worked and did it in good faith that there'd be a paycheck at the end. And the fact that it isn't, you know, is it's nuts, you know, and it takes so much extra time to go get that work. And, you mm -hmm. know, obviously the unions then help with it. And that's why we're, we're pro union here on right. the screen podcast, just in case anyone was worried. And I was since I read Epton Sinclair's The Jungle. So there you go. That's a unionless world. Enjoy that. Yeah. So I'm I'm very much pro union. I just if you're if you're asking if someone is saying like that union shouldn't exist, absolutely union should not have to exist. But unfortunately, we are not living in a place where people are playing fair with the basic rules of capitalism. And so until people decide that they're just unanimously going to do the things that they're supposed to be doing by which the core facet of our society is based upon, until they decide that that's going to be a thing, then we have to have bodies that protect the, the, the workers at large from these corporations who are being stingy with their purse strings. Mm -hmm. and that's the bottom line so mm -hmm. if you don't like it too bad yeah i agree agree so let's go into our topic yeah. i feel like we, everybody's partied so much this week and celebrated the big victory but at the end of the day that means we're sitting back down and we're working right on our 
back so, into to work. And so we are talking about we've 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 done previous episodes and I'll I'll put links to them in the show notes. We we did Act One Musts and the Perils of Writing Act Two. And so now we are going to do how to land Act Three. I think eventually, K Tuxford, we're gonna have to go back and do a a episode, a specific episode on the midpoint. We've talked about Ooh. that, I think, in the past. I but, love a good midpoint. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to go back and do a midpoint specific episode. But now we're going to talk about how to the midpoint land. Midpoint is like three. a slice of apple pie. Like it's always good. Okay. Mm-hmm. But here, the thing that that I want to say first out of the gate in terms of landing Act Three, if you're going to have problems, this is where that party is going to start. Like, there's that old adage, and I, I that I actually 100% believe in that. If you've got Act Three problems, you have Act One problems. Yes. So whatever yes. you, whatever your your previous acts are lacking, they're coming. Those chickens are coming home to roost right now, and that's why a lot of Act Threes, when you read them, seem kind of thin. Where it's just like this is just a bunch of stuff happening. It's not. None of this is paying off. Yeah. The, the number one thing I kind of come across when I'm like reading a script or something as an act three problem is suddenly there's a new, there's suddenly a bad guy. There's suddenly, yeah. <laughs> there's suddenly like, Oh no, I've, I've, I've squirreled away all of my act two and there's no actual conflict. I have to manifest it right now right. or I have nothing to do in act three. Right. Um, so there's like some bad guys that are made up. There's suddenly things are important that haven't been important. Um, suddenly a person knows what their problem is when they haven't known, et cetera, et cetera. It just, it's like a bad comb over. Um, yeah. And it, and you can feel it's it. It's extremely obvious. Yes, exactly. You know what? The best example of which, and it, it serves a, as, a, as a blinding example of what a terrible act three is, is the rise of Skywalker. Holy <laughs> shit. Shit, that is a terrible act three. You have a movie where, just like what you said, all of a sudden we've got an antagonist. Here comes Emperor Palpatine. What? Where did he come from? There's literally a line that's been spoofed so many times. Somehow Palpatine returned. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Somehow he just, he's he's been dead for this whole time, but now he's back and he's got an army. So he's, and he's, he, wait, what? Not only is he back, he's got a full army and they're just, and he's, uh, is this army related to the first order? Cause we've been fucking with the, uh, nobody knows. We don't, we don't know. Okay. There, but the Hi. first order is, is working with him. Nope. Cause Kylo Ren is, he is the first order and he's, he's trying to kill. He's what? I'm so confused. I don't. I don't know what's happening now. No one knows what's happening now, and it's just, it's just none of this is set up. It's all bad. The character no character motivations from the previous acts have gone out the window, and none of this is making any fucking sense. So if you're you're if you're your third act feels like the rise of Skywalker, it. You you you've got first act problems, probably. You you, you haven't got, set yeah, any of this got, up. Yes, and I think I think you're not landing. If we're gonna go back to our metaphor, you're not landing your act three. You're right. Maybe plummeting a bit to the earth. 
Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somehow, somehow Palpatine returned. That's that should be a new thing when like when someone's act three doesn't work, you should just hand it back to them and go, somehow Palpatine returned, and everybody's like, Oh. Oh no. I did the thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. I apologize. Yeah, honey. I think I think that I think I think the problem is sometimes what we're building to has to not come out of left field. It has to feel surprising, but also inevitable. Right. And right. So if you get a great idea for Act 3, then what you really need is to weave it back in so that it feels like you are always going in that direction. Or you need to realize that when you got to that point, you made something up because you needed to end this thing. Right. Um, and you, you need to go back and decide what you do. If, if it's not this storyline, what you should be weaving back in. Yeah, and that's the thing. For me, I don't. One of the reasons why I handwrite my first drafts is because when I get to act three and I have that kind of problem, like it's very easy for me to just like, oh, I need this. And to go back into act one and just set this up. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel, you know, I can just write that in there and be like, I'll fix that when I go to the computer. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have a problem with that. Like if you, you got, sometimes you just have to just go back and set something up. Most of the time, like, like we're saying, basically you haven't done the work and in your act three, you should be able to do the screenwriting math to go backwards from everything that you're paying off or putting forth in this thing. Everything should be coming from something else. There aren't, not to say that there can't be any original ideas in there, but if there are original ideas, they're playing off of something that's already been set up. They like I think the the one of the the best sort of examples of that is the box scene from seven. Like mm, what's in the box? In the box. Like yeah. we don't know that John Doe has any designs on Gwyneth Paltrow in that movie. We don't we don't know that, but we know that this man is obsessed with the seven deadly sin. And so when he makes himself a part of the game where the end game is, he is he makes Brad Pitt wrath and shoots him for coveting. It doesn't feel like it comes out. It doesn't feel like it came out of left field. Like we that wasn't on our radar at no, all. But, it, but we know this is the type of person he's been. Right. And so you're just like, oh shit. Oh no. Cause it, like getting them out there exposing them to that that desolate area where there's nothing there's nothing there's no one to stop Brad Pitt from exacting his revenge in that moment on mm -hmm. John Doe except for Morgan Freeman's character and <laughs> you yes. know and he already knows what kind of person Morgan Freeman is that's the whole thing like he's planned it out and so everything feels earned and that moment where Brad Pitt exacts his revenge Spoilers, spoiler alert for, for seven, but even still, it's it's still an amazing scene. That scene, it's brand new, but it does it's not coming from out of nowhere. It's a payoff that works. And the theme, the seven deadly sins, right. we've gone through them all. We haven't gone through Wrath yet. So when Wrath shows up, nobody's like, who let this guy in? We go, oh, that makes sense. We've been <laughs> right. counting them off the entire time. I wasn't expecting it to happen that way, but it would make a lot of sense for a movie about a killer and the seven deadly sins that Wrath right. would show up this way. And it very much absolves him of, of his own crimes and stuff like that. And it, it allows him to win. It even, it makes it that like, it's, it's forcing 
And it forces the audience to make a moral choice. Like, what kind of person would you take him to jail? Would you deny him? You know what I mean? Would you deny him his victory, knowing that that is like what he's done? He's destroyed you and your potential family. Because that's the thing. And they've set that up where he, Brad Pitt didn't know Gwyneth Paltrow was pregnant. Like, they mm -hmm. set that up with Morgan Freeman knowing. And he looks at him and he's just like, you're like, oh, man. Oh, I forgot. Morgan Freeman knew that she was pregnant. Oh, man. They set that. Oh, man. It's just all those chickens are just coming home to roost one by one by one in the middle of this completely new scenario. And it just works. And it just, it's so great. It's so great. It just works. And that's how ideally that those things should work. And yeah. where you want to surprise the audience, but everything, all that screenwriting math works backwards. Everything about it has been set up so that when it pays off, it pays off. And that's why mm -hmm. people watch that movie over and over and over again. It's it's one of those things where it's just like, whoa, this shit just works. And that's how mm -hmm. an act three should go. That's how like, you know, everything about it should, should be payoffs, payoffs, payoffs. And I think, I think also when we say payoffs, I also think that, that we don't give enough credit to, we just sat through, you know, 60 to 90 minutes of a movie before we enter act three. And hopefully that stuff has accumulated to be meaningful in the ending. Most specifically, if they are going up against a, a bad, a baddie of some sort, hopefully the things that they have gathered along the way, people, lessons, techniques, should have some sort of payoff there. I was thinking specifically of the the Hulu movie Prey, the Predator movie. I don't know if yes. you saw that. You know, because oftentimes when I see this, people are like, oh, well, my character is antisocial. They didn't make any friends in Act 2. That's fine. They still should have learned some stuff. Prey, she's tracking, a, the, the main character is tracking an unknown creature. It's a Predator. And she's learning all of its abilities. So one time she's like, oh, this thing can go invisible. Oh, this thing has this type of attack. So by the time she's facing it in act three, she knows what it's capable of doing to her. So she's prepared, you know, oh, it went invisible. What am I going to do? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to put dirt, you know, I'm going to get it wet or I'm going to, you know, put color in some way. So by the time it's happening, it's like, well, she learned all of that in act two. So when we see the execution, that final face to face in, in act three, it makes sense. You right. know, it wasn't just she wandered around the woods for 60 minutes and then just happened to kill a predator. She wouldn't have killed the predator. Uh, sorry, spoiler. She wouldn't have killed the predator if she faced the predator, you know, in the end of Act One. Right. Because she didn't know any of its fighting techniques. So if you find that your character could have overcome its obstacle at any point and, you know, waiting till Act three didn't make a difference you've got act two problems because they aren't learning the right things to go up against their opponents or their antagonistic forces right 100 percent. and there the idea of the the payoff should also be of characters arcs and we talked before on this podcast about leaving too many hats on the ground where yes. you don't where like you know at the end audiences are like what happened to that storyline? What happened to that? You know what I mean? It's just, there's things that you're just there. You're leaving the audience with questions where it's like, you should, there should be a satisfaction that you feel in, in this, in a, in a lack of questions at the end. And unless it's something that they want to specifically leave theme wise, 
but that's a different that's a different question but it shouldn't be plot questions it shouldn't be like what happened to this person why did they just disappear from the story you yeah. know what i mean where is that or, or like why didn't this person learn anything or you know like <laughs> like it, why are they still the same you know what i mean like it shouldn't be things like that it should I, be i always think of the room tommy was the room yes with mom in the middle of it it's just like i have cancer and yes. then they go back to it and you know i guess it was just a misdirect it wasn't about the mom having cancer but you can't you can't have a character be like i have cancer or i have a problem and then wander away and never address it we're like is she gonna die like right. what happened did she make it through you know you you can't you can't leave that sort of thing dangling because either it doesn't belong in the story or your audience is gonna go i don't feel like you you finished everything you started yeah they're like what happened here i don't understand why we would and that that's the thing that i hate the most where you know we we're asked to go on this journey with something and they make something super super important and then at the end they're just like okay well that none of that meant anything like my, my one of my least favorite things in an action movie is where they have this thing like we we went through this giant action sequence to get this macguffin device and then we got to the, the plot says now that we got to wait for this MacGuffin device to be deciphered. And then in the act three thing, this was like, okay, while we're, while we're waiting for this, this character did a thing. So now we got to go over here and forget the, the, the MacGuffin device. And then later on, it's like, okay, because we deciphered the thing from the MacGuffin device. Now we have to go and do the thing that we just screwed up on the right way. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Why didn't you just wait until the MacGuffin device was deciphered before you did the thing? Like that seemed like if this was going to, no, like we spent all this time getting this thing. Then like now everything that you've just done is, would have been negated if you just, what? It. It, it makes me think of the phrase, I'm getting my steps in. People tell me about it all the time in LA. They're like, oh, I'm going to go do this and get my steps in. And getting your steps in is basically, I'm supposed to walk around and I know it's good for me, but I'm not really going anywhere in particular. Right. I'm doing steps for the sake of doing steps. Right. If you want in act two, you're just putting your steps in and walking around because act two is supposed to be this long. You are not going anywhere important. And that's right. a problem in Act Two. Then you're again, you got an Act Two problem that's going to lead to a bigger Act Three problem. Because if you didn't put in your step, I mean, if you only put in steps and you didn't build towards anything, you're going to get to Act Three and be like, well, I don't know, maybe they figured it out. There's a movie called Natural Selection starring Rachel Harris, and she plays this woman who is trying to find her husband's illegitimate son while he because he's in a coma and yeah and and he's she thinks he's dying and she wants to find his illegitimate son so that he can be with him and she goes on this whole road trip to find him and they go through this whole thing and she goes through all this adventure with him as a road movie it's a golden fleece thing you know and she's doing it and then she that she comes back and then eventually like basically you know it everything that 
she did on the road trip gets sort of negated and she ends up back with her husband and he recovers and none of the things that she did mattered. And I'm watching this movie and I'm just like, this is about to piss me off unless we have some sort of payoff. Right. There's no, like what just happened. And then literally as she's about to get back into her routine and they take her through this whole thing of like, she's getting back to her normal life. And then literally she vomits all over, like (laughs) she vomits all over her waffles and you're like, Oh, okay. Oh. And you know what the vomiting means? And you're like, Oh, she literally can't go back. Oh, wow. That's a whole, wow. You know, it's just one of those things where it subverts our expectations. And I think it's one of the best sort of visual metaphors for not for that whole thing of like, you can't go back. You cross the Rubicon into this new thing. And like here in act three, all the rules are are out the window now because what you did has consequences. And you literally can't go back to the life that you were living. It's impossible now. Sorry for you. And it, it, why, if you guys watch that movie, Natural Selection, it's, it's really, really great. And it just, it was a great way for this movie to just assert itself. Like, nope, that's not how this goes. And it's one of the best, like, into act three that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's fantastic. And it's very simple. And it's just this one comedic beat, but I fucking loved it. The we way we have a vomit on our waffle moment. Yeah. You, everybody needs a vomit on your waffle moment. Like, you just, <laughs> like, where you got to have that thing where you're just like, oh, wow. Okay. The, the How to Train Your Dragon movies uh, are also really good at that thing where they, they're very formulaic and they sort of, you can always sort of tell where, like, how to, you know, they're jumping into Act Three, and they really have for for kids movies and for that sort of animation thing. If that's where you where you where you hang your hat, they really have a great sort of transition into Act Three. They really follow that Save the Cat beat in a way that seems very, it's very it's gentle. Very, I don't, yeah, it, like it's very fitting for it. It's, it's yeah. good. It's a good use of it for that genre. Mm-hmm. And they, they're they very good at that. They're also very good at payoffs in, in those movies as well. Those movies work. I think the reason why there were so many is because they follow. It's very formulaic. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, they they, they it's formulaic in that good way, in that Iron Giant kind of way, where you you know what the beats are and they're following them to a T. But at the same time, you're enjoying the story and the characters. But- yeah, and I feel like people, a lot of people watch movies because they do know a little bit where they hope they know where it's going. Rom-coms are a perfect example. Right. You watch um, a rom-com and it doesn't touch on topics of love and people falling in love or out of love or exploring love. You'd be like, I feel like I got gypped. Right. And I'm glad you brought up rom-coms, Kate Tuxford, because that takes us, it's a perfect segue into our next point. And this, this is, is what some... you, I, you hate this so much. And it I always do. I, I fucking hate it. And rom-coms are the biggest offenders of this. They do it all the fucking time, but they stick that fourth act. Don't you dare. Don't you dare stick that fourth act into this goddamn movie. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. All right. I don't know you. I, I know you're out there. You're, you're trying to get through your script. All right. And, and I, I'm here for you. Obviously, I'm here for you. I'm here for you every week with Kate Tuxford. We're here for you. 
but don't you fucking don't you Zack Snyder Justice League us all right don't you fucking do it don't you fucking you've got mail us all right don't you fucking do it don't you do it like the thing about Zack Snyder's Justice League and in terms of where it was in terms of the the DC EU or the DCU where, where they hadn't done the work and the reason why that movie doesn't work and why Avengers does is because Avengers in terms of the plot or at least for phase 1 has done all that work they did it they did the whole thing they they set up Thor they set up Iron Man twice they set up Captain America they set up Black Widow they set up Hawkeye they set up Nick Fury they set up the Avengers initiative they set the whole th- they set up the Hulk they did the whole thing they they did it and then when the Avengers happens, you get it. You've been introduced to the characters. You've been introduced to their various struggles and what they've been through. You know exactly where they're coming from. And then you get the payoffs and stuff like that. The Avengers is essentially one giant third act for phase one. That's what it is. And what Zack Snyder's Justice League does not do and why it's four hours long is... <laughs> What it's it is essentially that fourth act that I'm talking about. It is it they they haven't done the work. They introduced a flash in this movie and Aquaman. We don't know anything about them in this particular universe. They just they just show up, and then you have to do that in addition to building up a villain, building up and cyborg as well, who's probably the least of known at least. People have a passing recognition of the Flash and Aquaman, but then people have Cyborg in there. Unless you're a Teen Titans fan, you don't know who the fuck Cyborg is. Yeah. So it's like, now we've got to introduce three new superheroes into a movie that's already overstuffed with introducing a brand new villain, which you haven't set up. Yeah. And all of this has to be done in the same movie. And in, no. And that's where you get like that, that fourth act where it's just like, you're like, none of this is paying off. This third act is not paying off, so we'll add a bunch of stuff in there after the second act in this weird little thing where now we're just doing things so that we can pay them off in about 10 minutes. And mm. it's gross. It's so gross. And it's it's you the movie is off the rails cuz nobody knows what's happening now. You're like this cuz we know how movies feel. We know how movies move. The one thing that we can say about those how to dragon, uh, like how to train your dragon movies, like you said, they're they're formulaic, but and they they don't ever take you out of the movie by trying to to do this new thing, you know what I mean? Where they're just like, oh, also cars or something, you know what I mean? Or or, or like yeah, they, like, they 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 at least I mean, it's almost it's the equivalent of like when you were trying to make a essay in high school and you were short on pages, right. so suddenly <laughs> this paragraph about yes. like you know, something else you recently learned on the internet and it has nothing to do with the topic sentence, but my gosh, it gets you to the bottom of page three. Right. That's right. when you're in trouble. You're, you're, as you said, you're overstuffing it and you're trying to put context in there because you didn't do it earlier. Right. You like, you try to make an anecdote to go all the way back around like this extended metaphor for what tie back into your topic sentence. And everybody's like, what? Rom-coms do it all the time. You've got mail is patient zero. I feel like it's it's not, but if to me it feels like it is. Like you was the first time you encountered this where you were like, "What is this? What is this?" Yeah. But you know, there's a 
even movies that I like sort of do it. Casino Royale has a weird fourth act where where you're just like after Bond comes out of the hospital and he's just like, I'm going to just be with this chick now. And then there's this weird 10 minute thing where they just like establish this love story because they haven't done it. They haven't done the work. And so now they have to give you this love story because they're about to pay it off. And it's going to be a big fucking deal. It's going to be a big deal for all through for all through Daniel Craig's storyline. His his bond that 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 10 minute fourth act is like responsible for 90% of what happens later. You know what I mean? It's it's so important, but they just stick in this fourth act where like James Bond is in love. He's quit his job and or semi quit his job and he's just he's going to be in love now. He's no longer going to shoot people. And they're in love and they're making quips and they're they're so good together in this whole thing because they haven't done the work because they've yeah. been so in like in on the plot and the plot's been great. Don't get me wrong, but they're not in love and they need to be in love in order for the rest of this movie to work. And they just have to do this work. And so everybody's like, what's happening now? And you like I remember watching Casino Royale in a theater where people were just like confused. And they would turn around and talking to each other, like, what is happening now? Like, what, like, yeah. the people are just like, you, you've lost the audience there. And that's usually what happens is you yeah, lose the audience. The audience is thinking, like, if we, I thought we were building to something, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what have we been watching exactly? It, right. It, like, all of a sudden, people are like, I don't, I don't, under I don't understand. I don't understand. Right. I don't understand. Exactly. I don't understand. And that's what happens in a fourth act where people are just, you've off the rails. Nobody knows what's going on and the audience is confused and you know, then you just lose people and you may not get them back. And like I said, you've got mail is patient zero and they, there's that I'm like, literally, okay, we have done all of the things. And that this one is especially egregious in the fact that they've done all of the work on this movie up until the point where Tom Hanks literally says the greatest line in the movie. He says, I'm going to stop you right there before you say something that we're going to regret for the rest of our lives. That's a showstopper right there. And then the movie continues for another 15 to 20 minutes where we're like, is this not the end? This wasn't the end. What is happening now? And right. <laughs> then it turns into this weird session where you're like, not only is the movie not over, but Tom Hanks becomes Gaslighting Man. He yeah. like literally gaslights Meg Ryan for like the next 10 minutes. And you're like, why? What? And I'm like, it, and, I, and I don't know how, the, how this kind of stuff, I don't even know how this kind of stuff gets past editors. It must drive them insane. But you're just like watching this going, I don't know why we're doing this. I don't know where where is this coming from? We had everything that we needed. I th that's why I think it's patient zero because the 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 fourth act and you've got mail is superfluous. If you yeah. literally cut that act off and the and the 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 tacked on third act at the end, you cut that off. Both of those things off. That movie is a classic. I mean, it's already a classic, but it is it is timeless at that point. You can just put I it on. It's just, just beautiful. We need to see if Topher Grace can cut it down. That's his yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he Do can the Topher Grace cut of You've Got Mail. We don't need it. 
You know what I mean? Like it, we've they've done the work. That's the weird part. They they have the opposite problem that most fourth acts have is that they've actually done the work. They've literally they done all of it. it. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that the other thing is I often see like people will go, oh, I have a climax where they go up against this bad guy, but then they have to have another climactic talk with their mother, and then they have to have another. T- I was like. <laughs> You need to put them all in one room and get it done and over with. I don't want right. to see it. I think a movie that avoids this, avoids that fourth act, is Rachel getting married. Ooh. There is a. Oh, I love ma- Rachel getting married. Yeah, I love it too. And there's a major climax between Anne Hathaway's character and her mother, played by not Blythe Danner, played by Deborah Winger. Yes, Deborah Winger. Yes. yes. So. Anne Hathaway's character is is having this major, she has this major climax, climactic scene with her mother, played by Deborah Winger. And she they get into this massive, massive fight. And then at the end, at the wedding, like you're waiting the whole wedding for them to have some sort of like resolution or of the thing. And the resolution is there is no resolution. Like Deborah Winger just leaves. And she just abdicates her responsibility as a mother. She's just like, you're going to have to deal with that on your own. Bye-bye, deuces. And it's so it's so poignant. as It's it's very real life. Like, you don't, sometimes you don't get those moments. There are those movie moments that we all crave of, like, catharsis. There's just none. Like, the, the only catharsis available is inside of you. And that becomes mm-hmm. part of Anne Hathaway's journey in the film. And they don't waste our time with our us trying to trying to explain it or over explain it or try to get it in some way. They let us figure that out. The filmmakers are very smart in that way. And they just let that play out. And it's so great in that lack of climax. And that sort of leads me into my next sort of point. If you can't end well end memorably, but in the movie there, (laughs) end the movie, please end the movie. There, I'm not gonna make any Lord of the Rings jokes. Where <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the smoke, but y'all know what I'm talking about. There's my favorite ending of all time is the Breakfast Club, and my it's my favorite ending because it leaves us. It's a classic, leaves you wanting more. There's nothing that I love more than wanting to know what those characters, what's going to happen to those characters the next day. Or on in this case, on on Monday when the kids come back to school, like are they going to be friends of a kind? You know what I mean. They all are coming from different worlds, obviously. And so, are they going to be more friendly to each other? Is it just kind of like an acknowledgement, like a nod in the hall? You know what I mean. I want to know what's going to happen to those kids. But the movie is over. Yeah. That period of time that the movie is about, it is over. The story has been told. Yes, we want to know more, but that movie is over. And it's still has this very gorgeous ambiguity to it. But at the same time, the story has been told. You can walk out of the theater. That's it. That's the end. And whether whether their arc and the things they discovered sticks or not, that's a different question. That's a different 100%. 100%. And I think you're going to touch, you touched on this, I see on our, our notes here, but the other thing people run into is they, you know, as you said, at least in the movie, don't, I mean, 
I have never perfected my ending like the first time around. Usually I discover it in the rewrite. Like right. I know in the end, like, oh, someone's going to be victorious and this is going to be overcome and this is a general arc. I have some of the macro pieces. But usually once you once you get in there and start rewriting, you're going to find some of that nuance that comes out in all your favorite movies. Right. 100%. You are going to rewrite. There are some things that I know that are going to have to change where when I go through, and that's one of the reasons why I think writing that first draft on paper is so important, where I can like write through something or say, make notes in the margins next to what I've written and say, I need to expand on this, or I need different dialogue here, or there's there's a lot of different things like that. The ending to the my $1,000 movie, I remember I wrote the ending to it and I wrote it down on paper, and then I knew that I was going to need a different set of dialogue. I knew I didn't get it right. But at that moment, I couldn't come up with anything better. And so I waited until my wife read it. And my wife was like, this does not fit what you had written before. The The, mm. the sentiment here is too much. And it, it's, it doesn't fit the tone of the piece. And so you're going to have to change this dialogue to make it work. Most of this is working, she was saying, but this this specifically here in these la in this last moment, it is not working, and I I just didn't get it, and so I I had resigned myself to that fact. But you know there there are certain things that notes are just going to fix, and so or or another draft. But regardless of which, you're going to rewrite. You have to like whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to rewrite. I don't care if you're on draft 10, draft 10 you're going to rewrite. There's going to be like, because even if you're getting it right for yourself, you know, draft 12, draft 13 is, is, is the right one. When you get it to producers, when you get it to a director, when you get it to actors, you're going to have to rewrite. So get used to that. You're going to rewrite. So that's a fact. The script isn't done until, and it's not even, it's not even done when it's, when it's, when it's, when it goes into production, it's not done. You're going to rewrite. So get that into your head. Remember that you can't be so precious with it. You have to get it up to up to standing on its feet. But you're going to rewrite. Yeah, agreed wholeheartedly. And and I think it's easier when you know it's going to happen that you don't put so much pressure on your act too. If right. you sit there and go, okay, we're going to take our first pass at this, you know, and start molding the big shapes of the clay. It's It will make things less stressful than just thinking you have to make it perfect and sing instantly. So, right. uh, Rob, what are you watching, consuming, and writing this week? Well, I finished No One Can Save You, and... Oh, what? Uh-oh. I, I did... I oh, Okay. I... That is a movie. That is a movie. You know what? Here's the weird part about no one can save you. No one. No one will. No one will save you. Here, I could talk about it ad nauseum with you, K Tuxford, for an hour, and we could debate the merits of this movie, especially the ending, especially that third act. We could just debate that third act all fucking day, and I. I don't know, and depending on what side of the fence that you sort of land on, I don't know that you'd be necessarily wrong. But the movie 
has this Twilight Zone ending that I don't know if it necessarily worked for me. And I know immediately why this movie is playing on Hulu and not in theaters. I'm sure they tested this ending for an audience. I'm sure that they did. And it tested where like people were like, what? Wait, what? And a lot of people are enjoying it. Stephen King has, has voiced his his support of it, so is Guillermo del Toro. And a lot of people are loving the sort of lack of a quote-unquote Hollywood ending. And I'm not going to spoil it here, but for me, I don't know if it doesn't work because of how it ends or if I don't know if they, like, I'm trying to draw the math. And then because the movie is married to this concept of lack of no dialogue with the exception of two lines in the film it paints itself into a corner where it forces you to go through a thing that i don't necessarily know that we needed and certainly doesn't answer the question that we have at the end and that at the end there's not there are a few hats but one big one and you're just like what who okay who, okay what I, yeah okay so okay. anyway um, what what else yes but um ahsoka is finishing up and it's starting to get good it's still but even in saying that it's getting good it's just kind of okay which is that which is what you can say about the best of Disney Star Wars. It's just okay. Mm. There's, mm. and so yeah. And then I went through in terms of a writing thing. I went through and I edited the entire first act for the Starfish Conundrum, and it's pretty good. Is it, I had that that lovely experience that I, that sometimes you get when you go back to something that you wrote a while ago. And you go back to it and you find that you still like what you have written and you can get by with a few changes without really feeling like you need to restructure something. And so I got through that. Thank Jehovah. And I also got notes on a one sheet. And then, then the, one of the notes was so fucking good. I wish I'd had it myself. And I was like, holy shit. And you start to wonder if the reason that, like, the reason that that thing didn't take off with other people is because of that one note. Like, if you'd had that note before, you'd be sitting in a different position right now. And I had, it was that kind of note. So, yeah, it was just, it was, so you're going to rewrite. Get used to it. (laughs) Get excited about it. Get excited about it. Yeah. So, Um, yeah. What about you, Kate Tesford? So I'm on a trip right now in Seattle, visiting some friends and family, and I'm surrounded by little children. So we're really just re-watching the entire franchise of Cars and Encanto, as well as the Hollywood Bowl performance Encanto on Disney Plus, in, in, like, just in a loop. So I don't know when I'm leaving this loop, but I'm in this loop until probably early next week. So I'm not going to be absorbing a lot of new stuff. I did check out this week the movie It Lives Inside because 
my girl Megan Surrey is in it. I wanted to support her. And and it's definitely creepy. And I enjoyed that they did some real, like, uh, real physical effects for the creature that, that this is kind of focused on. So th- th- there's that. So definitely worth checking out, especially if you're a monster fan. And yeah, that's what I've been working on. And hopefully I will get out of my cars and condo loop sometime soon. Yes, because... Let's not let the audience not forget, K-Talks, or our listeners not forget that you owe pages for what? For what? Yeah, Fifi. Yes, because you did. You told me that you wrote a good scene. You were very excited the other day that you wrote a scene for Fifi that you were very excited about. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I... I, you know, I had written a scene and I was like, oh, the scene's right, but I didn't stick the landing. And then I realized, much like we're talking about right now, that the reason why I didn't land is I hadn't planted something sooner. And once I made that discovery, suddenly I had a heck, yet, heck of a heck of a landing um, in the scene. So it was quite the victory. Yes. And, and, and I was very excited for you because you owe me them pages. So, mm-hmm. Yes. So we'll 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 keep, continue to keep our our listeners apprised of your progress, and I I'll be glad to tell them when I get them pages. Okay. Them okay. Pages. Okay. 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 So this week's resource, just like with Act Two, we are giving you a little bit of homework by giving you a YouTube playlist of videos on the craft and execution of Act Three. Okay, Tuxfer and I are not the only game in town when it comes to the craft of screenwriting, obviously. So here are some of our peers. And our betters speaking to the subject for free, just like we like it, for you to mainline into your brain like screenwriting dope. And we're fine with that metaphor. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. So stop stalling and go watch. And that is our show. Screenwriting from the Trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcasts, as well as KevinLMartin.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, since we're a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like, rated us five stars, or whatever platform that you patronize. Because why, K. Tuxford? Algorithms. For questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, please email us at robertbmofo.net. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at BespectacleMofo. I'm at K underscore Tux. And Zach is at Zach Morrison 18. These things, as well as my YouTube channel, where the Cinema Challenge series, where we show you how to make a movie for $1,000, are all going to be linked in those show notes. We are going to be doing our uh, the results of our giveaway next week. We will tell you. We will be letting people know who won plot device, screenwriting, screenwriting and maps, vomit and vomit draft notebooks. Yep. So... Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. 